Welcome to Beyond COVID, an IBJ podcast that's about getting to the other side of the coronavirus crisis. The podcast is brought to you by James Allen Insurance. I'm Leslie Weidenbetter. In the panic of the COVID-19 shutdowns and the resulting worry about making payroll and paying the rent, it's easy to forget that the pandemic will end and the economy will restart. The key question is whether your business will be ready. I talked with Matt Neff, an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, attorney, and investor, about why business leaders must think ahead to the day when business returns to a new normal. Our conversation is based in part on a column he wrote for the April 3rd issue of IBJ. You can find it at ibj.com. I'll also talk to IBJ reporter Lindsay Erdody about the state of the coronavirus outbreak in Indiana. Here's my conversation with Matt Neff. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for being here. No, happy to be here. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit, first off, about how your work life has been affected by the pandemic. Well, I have several different roles. So each of those roles have had varying effects or impacts on them because of the pandemic. I work a lot via the computer, so it has not been as disruptive for me as it has been for many others examples of changes to business that I've seen that I'm involved in. I'm of counsel at a law firm called Denton's Bingham Greenbaum, which is a global firm. They have very sophisticated technology. So I've been on a lot of partner video calls with people in China and Italy, and that's been very interesting, but the technology has worked well. Hotel Tango here in Indianapolis, I'm on the board of, one of the owners of, And Hotel Tango has actually shifted its business model slightly to produce hand sanitizer in addition to distilled spirits. And and believe it or not, that is going gangbusters. I mean, they are selling all the hand sanitizer they can make. And they're shipping it around the world, interestingly. Then I'm also on the board of of what is called a contract research organization, which does preclinical studies for pharmaceutical companies that are developing new drugs. So as you can imagine, there is a renewed interest in developing new drugs related to COVID-19. And this company in West Lafayette called Bioanalytical Systems, Inc., BASI, has seen a significant uptick in their business as a result. The challenge there is just keeping our workforce uh, safe and healthy. It's been a very interesting experience, uh, unlike anything I've ever, ever seen before. And I imagine that's true for most people. One of the reasons that we wanted to chat with you was because you wrote this column for IBJ that talked about the importance of looking ahead and preparing for what might come next. And I know that's really hard for a lot of businesses right now who are just trying to figure out how to make payroll or how to apply for one of these SBA loans. Why is it so important that businesses look ahead? Well, leaders of companies have to lean into trends that may be pushing them in other directions, right? So everybody has been focused on maximizing liquidity, keeping their payroll secure, keeping their employees healthy and working and productive. And the application for those SBA programs opened up on Friday. So people have been very focused on figuring that out. How do I do it? What bank do I work with to get this SBA application on file? As that moves into the past, though, uh, and as we begin to see the leveling off of the pandemic in places like New York, 
which you know early data now is showing that they may be seeing a developing trend of flattening of the number of cases. It's prudent for company leaders to kind of lean into the, the fear and the forced hibernation that the government has placed on the economy and think about, okay, when, when the shackles come off, when we go back to business, what are we going to do to make sure that we are getting to maximum efficiency as quickly as possible? And so what I talked about in the article is something that's commonly used in venture capital, which is called a 90-day sprint. If you think about a strategic plan being a three- or five-year plan, you reduce it to an annual component, but then you further break that down into quarters. A 90-day sprint is to say, okay, in the next 90 days, when the shackles come off the economy, what can we do to jump back to maximum efficiency as quickly as possible? If, If you're in a production business, not just how do I restore my production capacity, but how do I get my sales funnel back operating properly? How do I get my employees completely focused on uh, re-engagement with the business? How do I incent them to do that? And so what I'm doing in the article is encouraging people to kind of lean forward and say, okay, I can see this coming on the horizon and I have to be prepared. What do I need to do now to get everybody on the same page? A lot of companies are not used to doing things in 90-day sprints. They may, as you mentioned, have a one-year plan or a three- or a five-year plan. If someone has, doesn't have experience with thinking of things in a 90-day period, what would be your advice for getting going? Well, ideally, there are measurements that you follow on a day-to-day basis. I, I call them key performance indicators, KPIs. The businesses that I'm involved in use them where you're monitoring progress on a number of different fronts, maybe sales, maybe production. If you're in a lab business, it's throughput of samples. And so what I would recommend doing is go back to the last full quarter when your company was operating at full capacity in normal circumstances, disregarding any seasonality. And just say to yourself, okay, what were the metrics of operating at full performance? And in the next 90 days, what can I do to get back to those operating metrics? So if you don't have those KPIs, then I I would encourage the discipline of sitting down with your leadership team and saying, all right, what are the things that we should measure? What are the indicators that we judge our performance by? And see if you can distill those and then throw them out 90 days into the future and see if you can accomplish those. Even if you don't, and, and it's aggressive, I admit, to do this, but even if you don't accomplish them, you'll be much better off, much further along 90 days after the restart. Yeah, it seems like that could almost induce a little panic as you look back and think about how to move forward. But as you said, I guess the goal is to get moving in the right direction, not right. necessarily that you're going to get back to normal in 90 days. Yeah, it's, it's probably unrealistic to expect you're going to be back to normal per se, but it's an aspiration that's, that's worthwhile. And even if you don't make it, you'll be a lot better off for having tried. So one of the things you talked about was that you think the economy may restart more like the Kentucky Derby than the Indy 500. That is a great analogy that I wondered if you could explain a little bit what you meant. Sure. Well, the Hoosiers in the crowd all know that the Indy 500 starts with a pace lap or multiple pace laps where the cars are getting up to speed. They have to take their position. The pace car pulls out of the way. 
the green flag drops, and the race starts. And so it's a running start. The Kentucky Derby, on the other hand, horses get into the gate, the gates are closed, the horses, the bell rings, the race starts, and the horses are all starting from a dead stop. And that, to me, is the way this is likely to pan out when we come out of this forced hibernation. For the only time in our lives, there has been a cessation of supply and demand enforced by the government for public health reasons. And all of a sudden, that's going to stop. The government's not going to say, all right, everybody, we want you to come back up to 50% of your production level. The government's going to say, I believe, all right, the shackles are off, have at it. At that point, the bell rings, the gates open, and the horses are coming out of the gate, just like at the Kentucky Derby, which is another reason why I think it's so important to consider a 90-day sprint. One of the things that I think is really interesting about what you wrote about is this idea that you really need to talk to your customers because their needs might be different coming out of this than they were going in. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important? Well, whoever your customer is, we all depend on customers. And their circumstances have undoubtedly changed during this pandemic. So you've got to have an accurate read of where your demand is going to be. Right now, demand has been artificially suppressed. There is some demand in some areas, but in many areas, there's little or no demand. When that demand comes back, I believe it will come back forcefully but it may come back in a different way. It, it may be different in degree or it may be different in quality, meaning take Hotel Tango, for example. You know, we, we sell bourbon. It's really good bourbon. But the alcohol base that we use for making that bourbon can be turned to hand sanitizer. Right now, the demand for hand sanitizer is off the charts. So that's what we're doing, and we're meeting the demands of those customers. That's not to say that they won't want bourbon when this is all over. Hopefully, everybody will have a lot of parties to celebrate. But understanding what the market is calling for is critical to this 90-day sprint because you want to get back to a level of supply and demand as close to where you were before as possible. I assume that's going to take some real conversations, too, because it would be a big mistake, I think, to guess what customers are going to want. Oh, yeah, no, that's a great point. And one of the things that I have learned in my, in my business career, Leslie, is that so much of business success comes down to communication. Are you effective in communicating with your customers and hearing what they're telling you that they really need and want? Are you effective in communicating to your employees so that they're completely motivated and engaged. And so much of that turns on communication. So you've got to bolster your efforts to communicate with your customers and your employees and your suppliers so that you can appreciate exactly where everybody is coming out of the pandemic. How do you recommend that someone starts a conversation like that in terms of, do you just flat out say to someone, hey, your needs may have changed and let's talk about how I can help you? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't approach it uh, from the perspective of tell me what your analysis of your situation is right now. I would tend to be more interactive and say, I realize that when we come out of this pandemic, your circumstances are going to be different and I'm your business partner. My objective is to be as helpful to you as possible. So help me be as prepared as I can be to serve your needs so that you can be successful as you 
do your 90 day start and try to get back to normal as quickly as possible. I assume a lot of these conversations need to go the other way too. Companies are maybe having some trouble with their own supply chains. They may be needing to talk to the people for whom they're a customer. How important is that to get figured out quickly? That's a great point. And that's a critical conversation because when demand restarts, as I say, I think it will be forceful demand and it will be immediate. Supply, on the other hand, may be more challenging to manage because your suppliers have really scaled down their production activity. So like we're seeing shortages of personal protective equipment, PPE, right now in the healthcare space, you know, there are going to be other shortages that result when the demand restarts. So if you don't know your supply chain and where your raw materials are going to be coming from, you're going to have a real problem. I'll give you an example with BASI, Bioanalytical Systems Inc. You know, we do preclinical testing and the raw materials that we use are animals. I mean, preclinical testing is testing new drugs on different types of animals. As you can imagine, during a pandemic, the supply for those has been dramatically disrupted. And so we have had to find uh, alternative sources for those. And that's the kind of nimbleness that you're going to have to have coming out of this situation because it's highly likely your supply chain has been disrupted. That sounds so intimidating to me to try to figure out, like in this case, where am I going to get additional animals? How difficult is it to figure out a whole new system of sourcing? Well, I mean, it's challenging. I don't want to minimize it. The leadership team at BASI has done a great job. Lab rats, all of a sudden, you may have gotten them from one country before and you don't want them from that country any longer. Or the production cost has skyrocketed and it's, it's no longer economic. So most people that operate in these businesses know alternatives in terms of suppliers and they may or may not be domestic. It will be easier, much easier to deal with domestic suppliers than foreign suppliers for the first couple of quarters coming out of this would be my guess. You talked about that company that one of their problems, one of their issues is keeping their their workers safe. That is a very complicated situation, especially with so many parents having to stay home with kids with people who are having to take care of others who are ill. How do you assess what your workforce is going to be like? Well, again, that that really comes down to communication. I think what you have to do is survey your employees if you're a a larger company. If you're a smaller company, you've got to have a lot of one-on-one conversations to talk about, okay, coming out of this, what's your life look like and how are you going to be able to contribute to the effort to restore the business here? And it's not going to be one size fits all. People are going to have different circumstances. And I think as a leader, it's important to realize that there's going to be emotional scarring as a result of this experience. People's bandwidth may not be what it was going into the pandemic. And you've got to accommodate that. As time has gone by in my business experience, I have learned that really the fundamental role of a good leader is is not just looking around the corner and saying, okay, what's next and how are we going to meet that challenge? It's also coaching performance out of your employees. And any good coach will tell you, if you've seen one team player or one employee, you've seen one employee. You have to deal with them individually to help them get to their maximum performance. So you've got to be willing to understand and accommodate 
what their new reality is coming out of this. As a company thinks about this 90-day sprint, how important is that they get buy-in from their employees, especially in a smaller business, so that they are motivated or to get them motivated about whatever comes next? To me, business performance depends on motivated and engaged employees. And the way that you do that, in my opinion, is number one, you communicate and you over-communicate to the point where people are saying, yeah, you told me that, but now you're telling me that again. And secondly, to make sure that they can appreciate the, the, the prize at the end of the process, meaning what can our company be? How successful can we all be together if, if we accomplish this 90-day sprint? What are the incentives that I need to create for you so that you this becomes important to you personally? And getting that level of engagement from your employees is, in my experience, absolutely critical to being successful. This seems like an especially important moment for this because I think people are getting tired of working from home or that the whole thing is getting a little fatigued and it's hard for people to stay motivated. It feels like they really do need some kind of incentive or some, and I don't necessarily mean financial incentive, it could be the security of the company going forward, knowing that they're part of a team, knowing that what they're doing is really critical. That's true. When you're talking about incentives, it's not just financial, it's psychological as well. You Recognition has a disproportionate return when you're dealing with employees of differing types, recognizing extraordinary effort, recognizing creativity is a great reward system. And congratulations and personal encouragement has just a fantastic return on investment. It is really the key to being successful. Yes, people want more money or they want more stock options or they want some kind of incentive program. But you know, I think what they're gonna be hungry for, they are fundamentally, But coming out of this even more so, I think they're going to be hungry for recognition. They're going to be hungry for the human interaction of somebody saying to them, hey, you know what? You're really good at that. And I can make my company more successful by building on your unique ability. I also think people are craving a lot of security right now. So if they believe that they are contributing to the success of their company, that helps make people feel more secure about their personal futures in addition to the business future. Oh, yeah. I mean, who, who could have ever anticipated this situation that we're in right now where everybody at the same time is at home and constrained in their day-to-day activities? And if, feeling if, vulnerable. Talk, yeah, exactly. Talk about a black swan event. I mean, something that just kind of drops out of the sky that nobody could have anticipated. Most businesses would never have considered the possibility of something like this. That is very destabilizing to people psychologically. And I think you're right. I think people hunger for human interaction and they hunger for affection and and recognition. And I think that, that that's going to remain the case even after the forced hibernation ends for I don't know how long. Let's pause for a quick break for our sponsor. This is IBJ's Beyond COVID podcast. As you work your way through the pandemic crisis, would your business be ready if this happened again? James Allen Insurance offers comprehensive and customized pandemic coverage for business, including recovery of lost revenue. Learn more at jamesalleninsurance.com. 
So obviously, if you're going to be prepared to move forward, you've got to talk to your lenders or you've got to talk to your owners, the people who are financing your business. I assume it's pretty darn important to get them on board early on in how you plan to move things forward over the next 90 days. Yeah, I I would recommend, you know, while you have this downtime, use it to over-communicate to all of your different constituencies, right? So your employees, obviously, your suppliers, your customers, get them on the phone and have conversations with them about, let's talk about what we look like 90 days out from the end of the pandemic. What are you going to hope to accomplish and, and how can we be helpful in getting you there? Again, it it really turns on communication. I want to talk a little bit more about Hotel Tango because that company was one of the very first companies to look around and say, here's something different we can do. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, as you know, I think Hotel Tango, its roots are in the military, right? Travis Barnes, the founder of Hotel Tango, was a Marine uh, in Iraq, did three tours of duty in Fallujah. And so it's second nature to Travis to kind of come up with workarounds, fixes, MacGyver solutions, however you want to describe them. He and his head of sales, Nick Laddick, they just, this idea occurred to them very early on and they had a conversation, I'm told, at like two in the morning about, well, what if we took the alcoholic base that we use to distill vodka and other things, it has to be 60% alcohol or higher, we run at much higher levels than that to start. What if we took that and started providing something that everybody's looking for right now, hand sanitizer? And within a day, they had figured out a, a recipe, if you will, for how to mix the alcohol with water and gum and, and make it more little less uh, runny so that it could be used as hand sanitizer. And within two or three days, they had a production facility running uh, at our Virginia Avenue uh, warehouse. And now it's, I mean, the demand for this just blown the doors off the place, as you can imagine. We're, we're selling it to FedEx, uh, UPS, Walmart, Amazon, and, you know, people are buying it in 55-gallon drums. We sell it in smaller bottles for those that want to order it for consumer use, but we're also selling it in industrial quantities. That seems like exactly the kind of thinking that a lot of companies should be doing. That was obviously an almost an immediate turnaround, 24 or 48 hours into figuring out what to do. But I assume there are actually lots of opportunities for companies that if they opened their eyes and looked around a lot, they might be able to see something new. I have to believe that's the case. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify. We had the benefit of having this raw material, alcohol, grain, neutral spirits, that we could turn to that purpose. It's a lot harder to go from making a Jeep to a ventilator, but there are opportunities to do that, I have to believe, in almost any business. And the question is, can you correctly assess what the market's looking for and and turn your production capacity to that end? And do you have other examples that you can think of that obviously we've not been through a situation like this before, but other examples from your career in which a company has done a pivot because of economic factors or other factors? Nothing on the scale of what we're experiencing now, but when I was running AIT Labs, I I became the CEO in 2013. 2014 was a very bad year. Uh, Two things hit us at the same time. One was some legislation that cut our reimbursements 
uh, healthcare reimbursements by up to 75%. And the second was a Department of Labor lawsuit over the formation of an employee stock ownership plan. And so we were stuck in the middle of those two mega trends, both of which were tied to the federal government. That makes them very challenging in terms of overcoming or changing their course. And it had just a massive cash flow impact on AIT. So what we did was looked around for an alternative, something, another product that we could make that would not be impacted. And we came up with the idea of software as a service to manage the prescriptions of opioids that doctors were having to do with a new level of rigor because of the opioid epidemic. And so AIT developed a software platform that we turned around and sold to doctors and healthcare systems that manage their opioid prescribing patterns. And that, that turned out to be our saving grace because it's what set AIT apart from other toxicology labs in the business. And it was immune from the reimbursement cut. So, and it met a public need, uh, which was a public health crisis at the time, the opioid epidemic. And so it, it checked all the boxes and it turned out to be our saving grace. Yeah, I think that's a great example because it really is about looking around and seeing what the opportunities are and seeing, I think, what you can do that is different, that distinguishes your company from another company. Right. It's all about the value proposition, isn't it? I mean, what is it about any company that makes it a valued business partner over somebody else? And if you're a smaller company, it's even more challenging you have to work even harder to make yourself a uniquely valuable relationship for your, your customers. That really is kind of fundamental to the venture capital world, which I, I came from, because you're looking for the value prop. What is it that makes you unique? What is it that makes you the must-have business partner for your, your customers? So Matt, as we close out, if you could give companies just one or two things that if someone's listening, if they could go out and in the next couple of days start doing, what would it be? Well, I would say number one, over communicate, get with your leadership teams and ask yourselves in the next 90 days after the pandemic ends, what are we going to do in the 90 days that follow to get back on our feet and to be successful and start a conversation. Again, it all comes down to communication and ask people to reduce their thoughts to writing so that you can capture them as performance indicators that you want to measure and track going forward. And then uh, once you've identified those, think about the incentives to create. What does success look like? And how can we all succeed together? How do we share in that success so that it's a team effort? Everybody's invested in it. Matt, thank you so much for all the great advice. Well, happy to do it. And uh, good luck to everybody out there. Thanks again to Matt for joining us. Again, you can see his column about these issues at ibj.com. Just click on Weekly Paper. Before we go, let's check in with IBJ political reporter Lindsay Erdodi to get the latest in the state's coronavirus news. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you just got done with one of Governor Holcomb's daily news briefings. He extended his stay-at-home order, but tweaked it a little bit. Tell us what it means now. 
Yeah, so it is a little different than uh, the original stay-at-home order, although some of the same things that people may already be familiar with are still in there. You know, you can still go to your grocery store and your hospitals and doctor's offices are still going to be open. But he did restrict it a little bit more in terms of how retailers are defined and how retailers can operate. He's suggesting, you know, your places like Meyer or Kroger or Walmart or wherever you do your grocery shopping, he's suggesting they have special hours for those who might be more vulnerable to the coronavirus, like your elderly population. He's suggesting limit how many people can be in a store at a certain time. And he's suggesting, you know, limit your hours overall to limit how often people can be there. He's not limiting, however, what you can buy in those stores he's suggesting that shoppers only focus on things that are necessary to continue living your life. You know, your, your food and your medicine, for example, you can still go to one of those stores and buy something non-essential like a board game or, or whatnot. The other change that people will notice is that liquor stores have to be switched to curbside pickup only before you could still go into a liquor store, walk through the aisles, pick out whatever you wanted. That's no longer going to be the case uh, for liquor stores or for any other retailer that's not defined as providing something that's necessary for life. All of those types of places, um, you know, your craft stores, bookstores, anywhere like that, you can operate, but delivery, online orders, curbside pickup, you can't have anyone in your store. And liquor stores are a little different in that they can't deliver. So you can only do curbside for those. So you can still buy liquor at places like Meyer, but if you're going to go to a liquor store, it's got to be takeout. That is correct. How long did he extend this order for? The order goes through April 20th. Uh, but the public health emergency goes through May 3rd and uh, Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett's stay-at-home order goes through May 1st. So there are some different deadlines there. Uh, Really, no one knows how long things are going to last. Governor Holcomb's certainly not ruling out extending the stay-at-home order past April 20th, but I think he's just kind of taking this incremental approach Great. Well, we'll check back with you soon and see how things are going. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to IBJ's first Beyond COVID podcast. You can see all our stories about the outbreak at ibj.com slash coronavirus. You can also find resources there to help you get your business back on track. I'm Leslie Weidenbender. We'll be back next week.